This is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology, innovation in the legal industry, and the impact tech is having on the law. I'm Chad Main, the founder of Legal Services Company Percipient, and on today's show, I'm in conversation with Nick Richwain about DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. All right, it's time for another crypto and blockchain episode. This time we're talking about DAOs, and I'm not talking about the Chinese philosophy. Nope, we're talking about decentralized autonomous organizations. If you don't know what a DAO is, you can think of it as a type of organization with a common goal, like a business organization, like an LLC. But instead of having LLC members tied together via an operating agreement, DAOs do all their business on a blockchain. Instead of DAO members owning shares, they own tokens that are again recorded on a blockchain. And just like shareholders of a business vote with their shares, DAO members use their tokens to vote. And yep, you guessed it, the votes are recorded on a blockchain. And these votes and the decisions they make are often governed by smart contracts. I've been wanting to do an episode for DAOs for quite a while, and I'm stoked that Nick agreed to sit down with me as a guest. He's a participant in a couple DAOs, including one called Cougar DAO and another called Tater DAO. Nick and some others joined together a few years ago and created a DAO because they wanted to purchase real estate, specifically Cougar Island in Idaho. Unfortunately, that deal fell through, but they were not deterred and they bought property in Colorado. Before we jump into my conversation with Nick, there's a few crypto concepts he and I talk about. If you're not super familiar with crypto and blockchain, it might help if I take a little time and explain some of these concepts. The first one you've probably heard, and you'll definitely hear about a few times this episode, is our NFTs. That stands for non-fungible tokens. What a token is, it's a digital asset, and ownership of that asset can be established by looking on a blockchain for the transaction that actually transferred the ownership. It's kind of like going to your county recorder to figure out who owns a piece of real estate. Non-fungible means that it's limited or different from other tokens. Unlike most cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, which are fungible, everyone is the same and has the same value and same attributes at any given time. Another thing you're going to hear Nick talk about is a wallet. And he's not talking about the leather thing in your back pocket. What he's talking about is a digital wallet. And that's a piece of software that holds a person's digital assets and connects to a blockchain to transfer or receive these assets. It's kind of like Venmo or PayPal when you have money in there. It's a way to send money over the internet, but you got to use software to do it. A blockchain wallet is just that. It's a wallet you need to interact with whatever blockchain you're working on. Finally, you're going to hear us talk about stablecoins. These are just cryptocurrencies tied to real-world fiat currencies like the dollar. And the value should always be whatever the value of the dollar is. So one stablecoin equals one dollar. This is unlike other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum and Bitcoin, where their values go up and down in relation to the dollar. All right, enough of me talking about crypto. Let's get to my conversation with Nick. But before we jump into all this blockchain business, I should point out that Nick actually has a real job. He works at and is one of the owners of Experts.com. That's an online service where legal professionals can find expert witnesses. I'm a vice president of client relations and development or whatever combination I create <laughs> on a you know daily basis. But I've been here for about 13 years. Yeah, I started in uh, local government. While I was going to law school, I was a deputy public guardian in the conservator's office, which in California, a conservator is, you know, when you take over the legal and financial and health care for an individual who's incapable. Stayed there through law school, struggled with the bar exam, and had a whole bunch of family members who weren't even really practicing anymore. I'd seen them go into a bunch of uh, other businesses and things like that, and, uh, Opening happened at experts.com, and I joined there over 13 years ago now, and I'm one of the owners, and uh, fortunately or unfortunately for everyone else, I'm generally the face of experts.com. 
And yeah, we are a marketing platform for expert witnesses and consultants and directory where lawyers can go and search, uh, contact the experts directly, retain them directly, not have any sort of a broker or markup on every billable hour. And uh, finally, the attorney could call us, say, hey, this is what I'm looking for, and we'll do an assisted search for them, locate the experts for them for a flat fee. So that's what we are. Experts run the gamut. Like we can find any kind of expert you want. Over 1,400, I think, listed categories that we have right now. Wide variety of expertise. It's not just medical. And you see your owner now. Did you come in as an owner or is this something happened later? I did not. I have uh, been around a uh, long time and uh, am an owner, but I did not come in as an owner. We're here to talk about DAOs, but let's talk about your crypto journey first of all. When and how did you, as they say, what was your genesis block? What, what got you going? I think I started Coinbase buying a little bit of cryptocurrency in late 2019. Right around there, I was paying a little bit more attention. I had a podcast, uh, or have, it's just been on hiatus for like two years now because I got busy with other things, but it was a legal tech podcast, and so way to keep it going, Chad. <laughs> And I had interviewed a startup who was not doing anything crypto related in their startup necessarily, but one of those founders, a buddy of mine, Adam Kerpelman, he sort of brought me in. He was doing some stuff with LexDAO, which is a legal engineering guild. Which you're a member now too, right? I am a member and I'm, I'm actually on the operations committee. Explain the guild. Explain what it is exactly. Yeah, so it's a legal engineering guild. So it's kind of a place where lawyers or lawyers and engineers come together, sometimes both. There's crossover there, paralegals, legal assistants, anybody interested in the legal system and improving that through code or through software for those who are on a, you know, who don't want to hear about blockchain, just improving the justice system through software. Some will call it a, uh, Legal Engineering Bar Association or Crypto Bar Association. I don't like that because it just sucks us right back into our old school thinking of bar associations. And it's a great way for it just to become another committee. So, and a lot of us have built things beyond that. Uh, a lot of us who were early uh, in the in the Lex Dow world have uh, spread out Dow to do other things uh, in crypto and AI and, and so forth. And that's where uh, Cougar Dow, which is, I think, what made you uh, reach out to me, Cougar and Tater and those things have met. So, so LexDAO was an incubator for quite a few. Cali, I think Nanny is another one that's an AI, uh, blockchain AI thing. whole bunch of different things. It's a wallet, essentially. Go over that. If you're not a member of LexDAO, it still has resources for the general yeah. public. Explain what those are. They put out a great newsletter, LexDAO. Joining is relatively easy right now. They're trying to get the actual membership thing up and running, but you can join the Discord and get involved and create content and read the content and ask questions. You can find a lawyer who's uh, crypto and blockchain savvy. It's just a wide variety. We've tried to influence some legislation in there through what we're writing and through advocacy. It's a wide ranging, and the problem with this, and maybe what your listeners might want to know, is that a DAO is not really, it's sort of a flat organization of people who are distributed everywhere, right? A DAO is decentralized autonomous organization. I think the goal 
of DAOs would be to actually be autonomous and run by smart contracts. But right now they are people heavy and probably what they are distributed organizations, not decentralized, but distributed. Let's go there. You run into me in the street and I don't happen to know what a DAO is. Yeah. Explain to me what that is. The 30 second version, although it's, it's hard to, it's hard to articulate in 30 seconds. The 30 second is it's either an LLC or it's like a homeowners association, right? It's uh, trying to have some sort of a common good taken care of and moved forward without having, say, the traditional legal entities involved. And that, as I'm sure you're aware, right. is not always a good idea. But think of any other unincorporated or nonprofit association that you might be involved in. That technically is what a DAO is. It's an organization of people with a stated goal, be yes. that, we're going to talk about Cougar Down in a minute, which is real estate facing, or there's others, you know, a community that, you know, just to meet people, you know, like friends with benefits, there's, there's those type of right. DAOs. But explain the distributed nature vis-a-via -vis an LLC where you got to be a member, you got to buy in, you got to do all that stuff. So a DAO in its purest form has been considered to be a, essentially a general partnership, right? And for the legal listeners, we all know that we don't want that joint and several liability. So the purest form is a really dangerous form. Because it's a group of people who come together for a goal, may not know each other, may not talk. That's the decentralized nature, but... I don't know what Chad's doing. Chad doesn't know what I'm doing necessarily. And am I speaking, am I, am I getting us in debt? Am I, you know, am I speaking for the group and getting us all in trouble? It's something right. that may get... We may get sued. Uh, I only know Chad as a username and a Discord channel. By default, if you don't have articles of organization or, you know, you're incorporated, it's a general partnership and everybody's equally, jointly, severally liable. Yep. Yep. DAOs have taken a little bit of a backseat because they've been so problematic. I'm involved in several of them. And it turns out that a flat organization is not the best organization to do creative things uh, and to build something useful. That's why you'll see a lot of the builders or developers in this space, they have a labs component, which is a LLC or a company where there is some sort of a hierarchy. And then they also have this separate DAO. So where they're building and constructing and developing, that's actually happening in a company. So the ongoing joke here is that a DAO is a Discord channel <laughs> with a bank account, right? Which sounds great, and it was great when the number was going up always, right? And everybody was making money. Sounds great. When it falls apart is when most things fall apart, and the law becomes a bigger issue, for the, and that's when the money goes away or it dries up, right? And then all of a sudden, people are fighting over things. So... That is what a DAO is, uh, essentially. It, it could be a Discord channel with a bank account or a crypto wallet in this case. Some do it okay. I think there's a lot out there who are going to face legal liability in the future. Civil liability, probably. Although there's been some criminal bad acts as well. Right. But I think that you have to really be careful what you get involved in. I've actually left some because... They've got my wallet as I'm a member of this and I'm not paying attention to what's going on in there. I don't know that I want to be considered a general member right. or general partner of this operation. When we come back, Nick fills us in on two of the DAOs he participates in, Cougar DAO and Tater DAO. He also tells us why they also decided to create a related LLC 
rather than only relying on the structure of a decentralized organization. I'm Chad Main, and you're listening to Technically Legal. Hey, like I always do, I want to direct you to tlpodcast.com. There you'll find episode pages for every episode we do, including this episode with Nick. On those pages, you'll find links to some of the stuff we talk about and more information about our guests. Also, if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at cmain at precipiate.co. That's C-M-A-I-N and precipiate.co. Or you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Nick Rishwain. He's about to tell us why he and some friends banded together to create a DAO to buy an island in Idaho. So this was when the number was going up kind of idea, right? And everybody was flush with cash and everybody in the crypto world or blockchain world was thinking about buying an island, uh, uh, right? It was always in the South Pacific somewhere warm that they could create a new nation or something like that. We wanted to buy an island that was maybe realistic, that maybe we could have happen. It was in this weird Idaho lands deal, which... You kind of do a long-term lease of the property from the state of Idaho. Anyway, an appraisal came back. Like we're thinking, you know, it's it's only usable three months a year because it's in northern Idaho. And we're thinking that it's going to be million, two million bucks and it could make for a good recreational property and we might be able to do some fun stuff with it. And it comes back with like a $10.5 million <laughs> appraisal, right? And this is before interest rates right. were cranking up. and. It's just an insane appraisal. Did you have members then? Did you already have members and money in the treasury? No, we didn't. But if you weren't active at that time in late 2021, early 2022, you might forget or not be aware of this euphoria that existed. And people were putting in money into all sorts of insane things. And I'm glad we didn't get right. that because, I mean, it was just going to be a nightmare. It didn't even have access. You'd have to get it to it by a boat, right? So it was, uh, it didn't have electricity or anything. So we had a group of people that we thought we could probably get as our initial investors. And then we could uh, maybe raise beyond that. Turns out we didn't end up doing that because of the outrageous price. And what we did do is focus more on, okay, what if we self-fund something? Because we wanted to prove that a DAO, which was, and we did it as an LLC, which we think is the, probably the most appropriate legal entity for a DAO. And we should point out too, in some states like Wyoming, they actually recognize a DAO as a legal entity. Wyoming does a DAO LLC law. We actually did a Wyoming LLC. We didn't use their DAO law. We're not sure that it was any more beneficial, but we have a Wyoming LLC. And so what we did was we were like, all right, we got a group of friends together. We all knew each other. We were distributed. We were all in different states, but we'd all met each other through LexDAO or a variety of other things. We were all sort of in real estate in our lives, some more than others. The legal techie side of this was we wanted to operate this company on blockchain. So what we did is when we incorporated, essentially our operating agreement pointed to what we call, we used a code deference agreement, which says, okay, anything that happens for CougarDAO LLC is going to be registered on Cali, which is a, let's call it a DAO launcher that legally wraps DAOs. It's a DAO launcher that it puts the organization in a legal wrapper, essentially. Is a good way to describe what Cali does is its code DAOs organizations can use to create smart contracts, put information on blockchain. 
Yes. So maybe even better is it does allow you to put the code on the blockchain, but think of it as a blockchain-based legal Zoom. Right. Exactly. You're pulling stuff off the shelf that's going to effectuate some of the functions the DAO needs to do. We're pulling the LLC document. We're putting it. And when what we're saying is anything that happens here on chain or in this code, in this software, that is what runs the legal entity, the real world legal entity. Is this on Ethereum? Yes, we are on Ethereum. And we constantly talk about migrating for Cougar. We also have others, the other operations. Why do you talk about migrating? Oh, just because the gas fees. And gas fees are transaction fees. Anytime you basically put data on a blockchain, there's a transaction fee. And, and Ethereum, although coming down, is notoriously high. Notoriously high. So I think Tater is on Arbitrum, as I recall. We've been kind of quiet about what we We've been much more active in Cougar recently. So then we uh, we raised some, we, we don't want to say raised money because we don't, you know, we got earnest money. You had people join. We had people join. We're member-managed LLC, right? So everybody is taking part in managing the real estate that we buy. So what we did essentially is we have this code deference agreement that points to our Cougar DAO on Kali, this application that gets us on-chain. And so when we decide we're going to buy something or we're going to take some sort of an action, we put it up for a vote and we all vote. Now, what do we use to vote? These Coog tokens, which are basically $1 per token, okay? But these are not tokens like Bitcoin or these are not tokens like Ether or XRP. It's not that. These do represent, however, your interest in the company. It's like an LLC membership interest. However, your LLC designates your ownership. Your ownership, correct. And that's also your voting uh, authority in that you've got a thousand Coog tokens, and then you get to vote essentially a thousand units of your interest. These tokens are not transferable. They're not, you know, no secondary market. We don't want to play that game. This is meant to be a small group of people trying to make this thing happen where we actually manage property on chain. And the first thing that we bought was a farm. And where was the farm? The farm is in Phillips County, Colorado, Haxton, Colorado. We all put in our earnest money. It was started with earnest money. We raised some of that uh, in cryptocurrency and we raised some of it in just U.S. dollars, because you do have to transact in U.S. Right. dollars with real property. Why the farm? What was enticing you about the Colorado farm? Nothing enticed <laughs> us about the Colorado farm. There's an entrepreneurial spirit and a little bit of gambling spirit. And one day we found out that this farm was going for 170 grand. This is something for a guy from California that doesn't know anything about farming, even though he lives in a farming area. Outside of California and back east a little bit, Colorado and, and east, they're in the Great Plains, they do these auctions of farms and they do them online. And so we put in a bid while we were having one of our meetings and we won the bid during the meeting. Were you surprised? Kind of, but we were already thinking we were going to spend about this much money and Again, we're self-funding this as it's a proof uh, of concept at some proof level. Of concept at this point, right? stuff. Yeah, it's all proof of concept. Which I think, if anybody's listened to a lot of my podcasts, heard me ad nauseum say this when we're talking about blockchain, is ownership of property, real estate, art, whatever it is, is the use case, one of the main use, best suited use cases for blockchain. And I think it will change. 
maybe not tomorrow, maybe not 10 years, but down the road, your ownership's going to be evidence on a blockchain. Yep, I agree. So we wanted to prove that. And really the only way you could do this, we thought, those of us who have legal backgrounds and wanted to actually have the blockchain interact with the real world, is that we had to be able to own, we had to be able to own this property in the LLC. And the only way that we could really transfer this property blockchain related is if we transferred the company, right? So you couldn't put the property on chain itself, but we could sell the LLC on chain if we wanted. So this twofold question, is there another piece of property you're looking at? I think I did see something, maybe somebody could camp on or somewhere. Yeah. Arizona, we have another piece of property. We also have a short-term rental in Airbnb in Memphis, Tennessee. One of our members has a, a great old cotton exchange building in downtown Memphis, beautiful old building. The legal tech aspects here are we're trying to operate these different pieces of property on chain and different property interests. That was question number two. Is there an LLC you set up for each one of these different properties? In this instance, we have not. So we have one lease and two ownership interests. So we did not. We probably should have, but you get tired of going through paper. Right. You try to go in through some of this stuff. In the future, we would probably do it because selling, if we were buying property to flip, it would make sense to have it in the LLC because we could then transfer the LLC to somebody through a one-click NFT or something like that. Right. And they would then be the owners without having to change anything at the local recorder. That's interesting. Historically, real estate investors, every property, they created LLC, right? But I like that. It's interesting. So you could create an NFT, a non-fungible token, for each property you own. And that's what the DAO owns. And that's what the DAO parts with when you sell, right? That's interesting. Or you do the single purpose or special purpose vehicle where you do the LLC for each piece of property. The thing is uh, what a lot of the younger, uh, probably smarter people from than us in crypto were doing was claiming that these NFTs that you owned might own some of this property in real life, but there was no way to connect those two. Because they just didn't have the experience with real-world assets. So we tried to bridge that. And they wanted to say that this was gave you ownership and ownership interest in a piece of property. And I don't want to name anybody who's done this, but so a partial ownership interest in a piece of property. Now you're talking about fractionalization of property, which now you may be getting to right. the securities issues, and we want to avoid that. We just want to be a real estate investment company who is operating these things compliantly, and we want to do these proofs of concept. So now we have, we could technically sell the whole company, the whole LLC, and we could do it on an NFT. We purchased our second piece of property via NFT, the Arizona uh, recreational property. When you say purchased it via NFT, explain that. So one of our contemporaries or collaborators is another company called Fabrica. Fabrica is a Web3 company that's buying and selling real estate on-chain. They do it. Their version was to use trusts, trusts that you could put in the NFT. You know, you could put the trust documents in the NFT, and then you can transfer the trust. So we're the beneficial owner of the Cochise, Arizona property. They're the trustee of the property. So again, 
where you don't have to really change things at the county level. The two legal entities that you're able to do that with these days are trusts and LLCs for the most part. So you could transfer those. So when we put up, it was like one ETH the time that we bought it or something like that. We It was about $3,000 for this vacant piece of property in, in Arizona. And we just did a one-click purchase. We gave them the ETH. We became the beneficial owner of the property. Now, they can do that, Chad, because they are a licensed title company in Arizona. So they had about 22, 23 states where they are either brokers, title company, or whichever they need to be to effectuate these purchases, which then does allow you to do essentially a one-click purchase. So when you say you're the beneficial owner, they associated that piece of property, that $3,000 piece of property with the token. So then when you guys bought it, that token went to Cougar Dow's wallet. It's in our Cougar Dow wallet. We hold that NFT, uh, that token or that hash number. That's ours. Just like you would a board ape. Yep. Like if I own a yep. board ape, you go to my wallet, you go on uh, Etherscan and you, can, you yep. can see it in my wallet if you know where to find me on Etherscan. And we recently had to actually do some changes with that, their first NFT. They identified some a vulnerability in their smart contract. So we actually had to go back. This is what you don't want to have to do in blockchain. Once you own it, you want to own that forever if you can. But we did have to go back. You can, you can go and see on the trust that I signed the deed for CougarDAO. That information has now been filed with Cochise County, Arizona. So... Previously, it was Fabrica as trustee. Now, my signature is actually on there as the representative from Cougar LLC. And again, this is a member-managed LLC, so several of us are doing different things because part of the member-managed LLC, which keeps you out of, as opposed to a manager-managed, is that we each kind of put in some of our you know, sweat equity in making everything happen. So that's an interesting point, because in the utopian perfect use case of a DAO, anybody can join. They've all, they're all doing their thing for this common goal, and somehow, magically, that common goal appears. But here, I, I think this is coming to fruition, because I read about it a lot, is you still, at some level, personally, I think, need a top-down organization. Someone's got to be kind of herding the cats, right? Because I just don't think a 100% decentralized organization is going to get much done unless, by some chance, everybody in that organization just happens to be some really disciplined, kick-ass, focused you know, person, right? It's always a smaller group of people who are doing the most work. Right. That's my experience in DAOs. That's why I left a couple of them. Not because I had anything against anything they were doing. It was just like, all right, I can't be involved in all of these. There's just not enough time in the day. Yeah. And I don't know what people out there are doing. But yeah, there are aspects of the DAO world that are... You know, I was like, it sounded great, but you really need people who are looking to get things done. And generally, that turns into a smaller group. Right. I see the lot. Dallas complain. They go vote on something and no one's voting, right? No you one's know, voting. Don't, yeah, There's no incentive yeah. to. Right. Well, think about it, though. In the corporate level, that's why I have proxies and stuff, right? Because, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to vote on, I'm not going to vote. So maybe, maybe that's, you know, it's early days for Dallas, right? I mean. Yeah, it's early. There's yeah. something here and there's it's going to. There's definitely going to be, this could become more mature, but it's going to be different than it looks now, I think, right? I think so. And look, you know, for us, we we decided that it was, yeah, 
A, to get things done, we had a small group of people who had different varying backgrounds who were people who wanted to do stuff right. and get work accomplished. That happens to be, you usually either bring money or you bring labor. Right. And we happen to bring both for our organization. Well, you mentioned Tater Dow. Yeah. What's the difference there? What's it doing? So this is one that James McCall and I, uh, it sort of spurred Cougar Dow. This is a brainchild. Much of what we're uh, involved in is a brainchild of James, is a really uh, incredible mind uh, in these spaces. Former bankruptcy attorney, a former accountant, and just a really smart dude, a good friend. And he started a company called Farm Apper. He's in the farming business now, right? He, le he left the white collar businesses <laughs> for farming and agricultural finance. And he had this farm upper company because he thought farmers needed to really take over their own metadata because all these John Deere's and all those guys, you know, they're selling you this equipment and then you're uploading all your right. farm data to, to them. And so he, and we were talking about how you could have more visible data on real estate as well. I'm not front, I'm just new to farming, right? And all my farming is behind a keyboard. And even then we leased out the farm to a farmer out in, in Colorado to somebody who actually knows about farming. But he had this idea as to what metadata would we need on real estate? What are the important real estate classification data that we would need to put on chain to make an NFT, a property NFT, if we get to that stage, actually identifiable as, uh, as a representation of ownership? You know, so APNs, zoning, coordinates, uh, you know, maybe we need to have some information about improvements. What information do we need? And it was essentially a, a beginning, a start of our idea to bring greater data visibility or real estate data visibility to pieces of property. Now, with oracles, that could get really exciting where you could have more of a living NFT. When you say Oracle, we should point out that's a, like a term of art for yes. the blockchain, where it's getting information from some other source. Could be the web, the real world, could be weather. Well, whatever it is, and it's triggering right. something on a smart contract to do something on the blockchain. Correct. Correct. And for simplification purposes, an Oracle is allowing the blockchain to interact with the rest of the world if that's simpler for people to understand. So think of it as uh, reporting mechanisms. Uh, think of it as a ticker, your, your NYSE ticker symbol for the blockchain. It's delivering that data to the chain. To do something like, let's say, gambling, right? So it's going to look, and if the Cubs beat the Rockies today, it's going to pay those people that bet on the Cubs. The Oracle gets this information. Or it's giving you the price of the U.S. dollar right. uh, at a certain time so that that registers versus the price of ETH or the price of Bitcoin. It's just, uh, so currency is the perfect example for it. Which right now is 26239. I don't know if you can see it. Is it? I got my, I got, I got my Bitcoin. What's over there? I can't oh, see. Yeah, it's, it's the course I'm looking at. It's my Bitcoin uh, ticker. Oh, the ticker <laughs> for Bitcoin. Yeah. That's what an Oracle does. So there's some really fantastic ideas about using these Oracles in the future, hopefully, to make what would be a living NFT. Now, it wasn't exactly where we were started, but a living NFT would be, you put the new roof on the new family home, Chad, and you can update your NFT of that family home. So now we know that in 2023, Chad put a new roof on 
And then that transfers with you. So, you know, because listings created, there's a new listing created all the time. Every time a house goes up for sale or a real piece of property goes up for sale, a new listing's created by whomever's representing the homeowner or the property owner. What if you had a listing that, okay, now when you're selling it, you provide that NFT to the next person, right? If that also transfers with title. Okay, so then they know that in 2023, the roof was done. In 10 years, they, uh, well, we got to have some work done on the roof. Okay, well, when was the last roof installed, right? It makes some of that information, it could be so much easier, right? You got to go through and find which document you have at sale and closing today. And hopefully they weren't wrecked in a fire or in a flood or somebody broke in and stole documents or whatever caused it. If that could live on with the property and you would have kind of ideas, it'd be like a Zillow that's automatically updating. That would be really fascinating. We've been kind of hands-off on Tater recently because we've been busy with Cougar, but that was that kind of data visibility, ongoing information, information that could be added to a list, right? That's always the problem. That's what the title people do, title searching does, right, is look back the whole history of this piece of property. Well, what if you could put that in an NFT? Right. And what right. if you could put that on blockchain? Well, you say you've been focusing a lot on Cougar. What's the future plans? What's next? So uh, the future plan, we're excited for several things. We're working on currently on improving this potential recreational spot in Cochise, Arizona, and maybe making it a experience, uh, a short-term rental experience, and then probably eventually flipping the property and selling it to somebody else who may be more interested. But if we can improve a $3,000 piece of property at a reasonable price, make it a stargazing experience or make it a short-term rental camping experience, hiking, we're near some mountains down there. It's kind of a really pretty area and it's very green where we're at. We really lucked out there. And what was a roll of the dice when we bought this cheap piece of vacant property? So we're having some fun right now working on the improvements probably going to put in a cement pad. We may dig for a water tank. Drilling out there is going to cost way too much. Uh, so it may have to be a deliverable kind of water, water tank uh, thing. So we're going to improve it a little bit on a reasonable price uh, and see if we can uh, actually make, make it a fun piece of property where people are interested in going to visit for stargazing, UFO gazing, UFOs. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But they're called UFOs anymore. They're, uh... No, UAPs. 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 Yeah. There's a place not far from where our property is called The Thing, and it's like a gas station and museum and UFO spot in Cochise, Arizona, or near Cochise, Arizona, and we're like, okay, well, maybe we could play this uh, as a experiential yeah. uh, kind of deal. The farm near ours has recently listed for... Uh, about twice as much as we bought ours for. So we're kind of excited about that. We, you know, we only, we haven't even owned it a full year yet. So if that sells for a significant, we, we may want to flip that farm. But until then, the farm is uh, producing. We have a tenant who pays us twice a year and uh, farms corn there. Also, we'd like to hopefully in the near future with DeFi and with our friends at Fabrica, we would like to potentially take a loan out on some of these properties, uh, DeFi loan, 
can we do that, you know, get money from point A to point B? There's some really other interesting stuff that we didn't touch on here as to how we're distributing money on chain. How many members are there right now? We have, I think, uh, 13 people in the group. Do you take on new members? Is it open or? Not open right right now, no. We don't want to be involved in securities issues. We want to be able to play like a lot of LLCs are able to play in their investments and in their proof of concepts here without having anybody. We've had people say, I want to buy in, I want to buy in. And that we're like, look, we're not soliciting this. Right. We don't want that. Maybe we want to put more money in and keep it small and and usable. And a lot of those people we don't know. We've kept it with those of us who have working relationships together for several years. But yeah, I think we'd like to take a DeFi loan out against some of the property. Maybe we'd take a DeFi loan out on the Cochise property to do the improvements. And, you know, I think those sort of interacting issues finance and real estate as the collateral in order to really make this world, this blockchain world really usable. I think we need to have real estate as collateral because you've seen it multiple times now where the collateral for a stable coin is another coin by the same organization. And then one of those loses. And so what is it really backed by? Right. Probably the greatest collateral we can think of is real estate. But that means the existing real estate structures have to be able to interact with the blockchain. Well, Nick, I appreciate your time. If you want to get a hold of you, learn more about LexDAO, CougarDAO, TaterDAO, where should they go? Yeah, probably if they want to get a hold of me, best place is nick at experts.com. And they can get an expert witness too, by the way. Get... <laughs> yeah, get an expert witness. I think you know this way. This is the difficulty of entrepreneurship, yeah. right? You like things, just projects yep. become... They keep appearing. So, but my day job's uh, experts.com and uh, certainly where my focus is as well. So, it's probably easiest to get me at nick at experts.com. Uh, Twitter is a good one, or LinkedIn is another good one. Nick J. Rishwain on Twitter. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.